Alright, so as you guys know, we've been in the book of Galatians. So to go ahead and turn to Galatians chapter 2. I know it's warm in here. We won't be in here all night. Just a little while. So, thank you guys so much for making it out. I know it's real smoky outside and probably bothering your throat and stuff like that. Bother me. It bothers me. So as you find the book of Galatians, we're going to start to pray. Galatians 2.20 is where we're going to start tonight. Let's actually read the, the verse 20 and 21 before we pray. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me. And gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so very much that you have died for us. God, and that you loved us. That you chose us before the foundations of the world to be the ones that you would pour your love out, God. And I thank you that you've drawn every single person here. God, there's no one here that's here by mistake. There's no one here that that has come here of their own uh, devices, their own desires. Lord, you have done everything to bring people here. And God, I thank you so much um, that your Holy Spirit is here with us. God, and you go around each heart and you knock on the door of our hearts and you're looking for those who will open up to you. And so, God, I, I beg you that we would be those people. You'd help us to be those people that would open our hearts to you and see the great things that you want to do in us tonight. Jesus, I pray that we would fade away and that you would be seen high and lifted up, that you would be the center of all attention, the center of everything, God. And Lord, maybe you're making it a little warm in here just to remind us to not get comfortable in the place that we're at. To not, just, to not be content with life as we know it, but to push on towards knowing you, God. The fountain of living water, the, the bread of life, and all that we're going to learn about tonight, God, I pray you would teach us through your spirit, Lord, not through my words. God, I'm, I don't even know how to communicate this stuff, but I pray that your spirit communicates it to the hearts that are in here. In your name we ask this in confidence. Amen. All right, so Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In this verse, we see the ultimate victory for the war on legalism that we've been talking about. You guys know, as we've been going through the book of Galatians, verse by verse, and idea by idea, and we're following along with Paul's arguments as he's been coming in and he's writing a letter to these Galatian churches and they have been sidetracked. The the Judaizers have come in, the religious people, the what you would call priests or or just the people who had influence religiously of that day had come in and they told people, it's okay for you to believe in Jesus, that's fine. But in order for you to really make God happy, you need to follow these rules also. And they made up a whole bunch of rules. And they, or they brought people back to the rules that they had under the Old Covenant. 
of being kosher, not eating pig and not eating shellfish and, and not cutting the sides of your hair and all these things, which is the exact thing that Jesus died to fulfill in our lives. He already has fulfilled those, so he's freed us from those things. So Paul had established this church and then he left to go take care of some other things. These people come in and they say, Paul's great and that's fine, but we have deeper knowledge for you. We know something more, more than what the Bible tells you, more than what Jesus tells you. We know more. And that, that, that puffing up of their knowledge created a huge problem. And so here we have been following along and tracking along with Paul as he's been making argument after argument after argument against legalism. And that's the term we've put on this. And let me, again, define legalism for us. It's trying to be, it's, a, it's an imitation of being truly spiritual. It's trying to look spiritual or look like you're pleasing God when you're not really pleasing God. It's an imitation. It's an imitation where God wants us to be truly spiritual people, truly filled by the Spirit of God, not imitating but truly filled. And so in this verse, it says here, I have been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So we're going to see the ultimate victory over legalism in our lives is going to be won by love. We've been talking about legalism. I've told you how terrible legalism is. I've told you Paul's opinion on legalism. Paul thought those people who wanted to make you legalistic, he thinks that they uh, should shut up, right? We learned that in, in, in uh, Titus. He said, please shut their mouths. And then those people who, who thought that they were impressive because they were legalistic, he thinks they should just cut themselves off or mutilate their bodies even further if you think you're all that. We looked at those things. And now, um, the fin- but to, for us, the final victory is going to be through focusing on love and seeing what love is. But here is the last uh, part of this verse. We're going to start there. It says, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in gain. I do not set aside the grace. If you have a King James Bible, it says, I do not frustrate the grace of God. I do not set aside the grace of God. What is grace? There's a lot of different ways to remember it. We've studied it a bunch of times, but I want to give you an acrostic. So, like, if you were to write out grace, G-R-A-C-E, you know, it's God's riches at Christ's expense. That's a really good way to remember it. All of God's power... For you to live a godly life. Every, you know, we think about Jesus and we think about Jesus. He, yeah, he was perfect. He was holy. He did all these great things. He did so many good things. And how, how did he do all those, all those things? Oh, because he had the power of God. And, and that's how he did all of them. But Jesus himself says that he did all these things through grace and through the Holy Spirit. So grace is God's power to you to behave like Jesus did. To act like Jesus did. That's God's power, God's riches at Christ's expense. Now, who, who's paying for us to get this wonderful gift, this wonderful power, this wonderful grace? Christ died to give us that. 
And so as we, as we just stay there, as we humble ourselves, we can experience this grace. Another way to describe grace is unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor. Unmerited, unearned, and undeserved favor. And it's crazy because it had to be that way. Because who deserves grace? Who deserves for God to give them gifts? When you were growing up, were you a good kid? How many of you were bad kids? Did you ever go through a Christmas where you didn't get a gift because you were a bad kid? No. What kind of terrible parent <laughs> would really honestly give coal in someone's stocking? What, th- why do we even have that tradition? What is this? I will actually put coal in your socks and turn them black if you're a bad kid. Why? And this goes with the idea that gifts, presents, are not earned. And so God's grace is a gift for us. He is longing to give it to us. And wouldn't it be frustrating if you were trying to give your kids a gift on Christmas morning and they're like, no, Father, I have been against you. I have sinned. I have been a bad son. I snuck a peek. I know what you were going to give me, and I reject it. No. What kind of kid would do that? Well, it's just a, It would be so frustrating as a parent when you had something really nice to give your kid. Let me illustrate it this way. Have you ever been out to lunch, maybe with a friend or a family member, and you're just having a grand old time, just you and them, just fellowshipping, having a good time, and the waiter comes after a delicious meal, even dessert, How about some cheesecake? Are you all with me now? It's like talking about dessert. Yeah, she's like, now I got your illustration, talking about cheesecake. All right, so you're there. You've you've gone a little overboard even. You're just like, yeah, so full. This is so good. My friend is here. He's so friendly. Oh, I just, I'm I'm so happy. And the waiter comes with the bill. And he sets it down. And you try to grab the bill. But your friend grabs it first. And you guys start to argue. You start to fight. No, no, I'm going to pay for it. No, I'm going to pay for it. And the one person who grabbed it first says, no, I'm paying for it. What if you said, no, I refuse. I'm going to go to the bathroom right now. How frustrating would that be? Because the guy's still paying the bill. Even though you just ralphed up all your cheesecake. Now you're in this illustration. You are picturing this in your mind. You understand the frustration. Because he's going to pay the bill. He still has to pay the bill. He's offered to pay the bill. He's going to pay the bill. So when you frustrate the grace of God, it's when you're saying, I don't need you to pay my bill. What is that attitude? Shout it out, guys. Pride. Pride is saying, I don't need you to pay my bill. Ah, but then let's take it the other way. So you, were, you, you grabbed it, but he took it. Then you take it. No, I'm going to pay. I'm going to pay this bill. 
for my cheesecake. But you didn't realize your cheesecake cost $8 trillion because it was lined with like truffle oil and gold nuggets. It's from New York. So you got this really high bill. So you're like, all right. So you write a check and they run it through e-check, right? And they, they check your bank account to see if you can clear this check for $8 trillion cheesecake. And the rest of dinner was like 14 bucks. And it comes back, NSF. And they come back and they're like, do you have any other forms of payment? And pretty soon, the police come. They slap handcuffs on you, take you to jail for non-sufficient funds for your cheesecake. All because you tried to pay the bill. Now, that's a pretty outlandish illustration. Maybe it wouldn't happen quite like that. But it's an accurate illustration to the situation we're dealing with. Because God wants to pay our bill. And it's our pride that keeps us from receiving his grace. He says, I do not set aside the grace of God. Paul says, I'm not going to frustrate the grace of God. I'm not going to set it aside. I'm not going to try and say, I'm going to do this on my own. I'm going to let him bless me. God just wants to bless you guys. I look at every single person in here. God wants to bless your socks off. He wants to. I don't want to frustrate that. So let's let God bless us without giving him a reason that he should. And this is the key, guys. You don't have to give him a reason to bless you. You just have to understand that he loves you and he wants to bless you. Then we worship and give thanks just in response to the blessings that he gives us. If you say, I'm going to worship the Lord to get his grace, you're frustrating the work of God. But here's the question. You say, okay, wait, wait. Aren't there examples in the Bible of people worshiping God and then miraculous things happening? And you're thinking about Paul and Barnabas, right? And they're in prison. And they're they're locked up in chains. And they've just been beat. And they start worshiping and praising the Lord, right? Giving thanks in the middle of the night. And... Then an earthquake happens, doors open wide up, and they're free. So you can think about that and say, hey, did that happen because they worshipped God? And I think, no, I definitely not. It did not happen because they were worshipping God. See, they were worshipping God because they love God. Because they love God. Not for any, they were, they were happy in jail. They were really happy. They had no idea that they were, there was going to be some supernatural, magical event that was going to befall them. They were really thinking they were going to die there in jail. And they were totally cool with it. Totally cool. And just worshiping Jesus. I got an email two days ago from my friend, uh, Braden. He lives in China. Braden, if you're listening, hey, what's up, bro? And uh, uh, I love you. And uh, Braden's the dearest, dearest friend of mine uh, from Colorado Springs. And he lives now in China. He moved to China. He married a, a native Chinese woman. And he, um, 
was talking about some suffering that he's going through. But in, in all the suffering that he's going through, living there in China and, and really having a difficult time, praise just flows from his mouth. He couldn't, he couldn't contain the praise coming out of his mouth for his Abba Father and how much he loved God. And to me, it was a huge example of he, just, he doesn't care if things change. He's obviously praying for good. He's, he's been called by God to live over there. He's chosen to live there. And he's not wanting to get out. He doesn't want to get out. He didn't write me an email saying, Sean, please send money so things can change. Or please send an airplane to help me out. Or please send me an iPhone so I can at least have comfort in my hand. <laughs> he didn't say any of those things. He said, I love God so much. And I just, this is such an example for us. And the, the best example of just receiving God's grace. So let, let, me, let me just put us in context here again in the verse. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. All that... We just receive. We just get. It's a gift for us. And he says, so I'm not going to set aside the grace of God. I'm not going to frustrate it. I'm not going to try to earn this great gift of, of this life that Jesus is going to live in me. This blessing I'm going to have. I'm not going to just set it aside. And I'm going to show you guys a picture. Turn with me back to the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 9. We're going to read this chapter. We're going to look at it. We're going to look at this chapter in view of grace being given to someone who's unworthy. So let's find 2 Samuel. It's right after 1 Samuel. And that one's free. You don't even have to pay for that one. In 2 Samuel chapter 9... It's about a man named Mephibosheth. Everyone say Mephibosheth. Come on, like four of you tried. I'm going to have to say this name like 40 times in the next 10 minutes. You guys have to back me up on this, all right? Mephibosheth. There you go. This, is, this guy's awesome, all right? But it's also about David. <laughs> so let's read right here. Now David said, Is there still anyone who is left in the house of Saul that I, can, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was a servant in the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And when they had called him to David, the king said to him, Are you Ziba? He said, At your service. And the king said, Is there not still someone in the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. So the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he is in the house of Maker, in the son of Amiel, in Lodibar. Then king David sent and brought him out of the house of Maker, the son of Amiel, from Lodibar. Now, when Mephibosheth 
the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. And David said, Mephibosheth? And he answered, Here is your servant. And so David said to him, Do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, and will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. Then he bowed himself and said, What is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? Then the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given to your master's son all that belongs to Saul and all his house. You, therefore, and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him and shall bring in the harvest that your master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table. Now Ziba had fifteen sons and twenty servants. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king has commanded to his servants, so will your servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, Micah, And all who dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate continually at the king's table, and he was lame in both his feet. So, David becomes king. Saul was the king before him. Saul lost his right to be king because he abandoned God. He stopped following the Lord. He got prideful. He thought that because he was taller than everyone else and stronger than everyone else, he deserved something. He deserved to be king. David loved God and he wanted to follow God. So God let him become the king. God raised him up to be the king. On the day David became the king, Saul's family heard about it. And Mephibosheth's nanny picked him up because he was a young child and was running away. And she dropped him. And that's how he became lame in both his feet. I don't know if he broke his legs or dropped him on his head so he couldn't walk on his feet. I don't know what happened. So that's the history of Mephibosheth. So he's been hiding for all these years. Now the custom was, the reason why he's hiding is because the custom in that day was when a king became, uh, took over a kingdom, rose to power... It was custom to kill every member of the family of the previous monarchy. <clears throat> so, I don't know if David necessarily did that, but that was definitely the custom of that day. And the reason was, was so that they didn't try to do a coup or try to rebel sometime in the future and try to bring back the old king or something like that. So, look at this story. That's why Mephibosheth's hiding. He's hiding now. But David says here in verse 1, he says, man, is there anyone that I can just love on of the house of Saul because of Jonathan? Now, who was Jonathan? Jonathan was David's best friend, his BFF. He um, had had grown up with them. They were best friends and he was Saul's son. They were closer than brothers. I mean, they were tight. And David loved him. 
Now Jonathan had died next to his father Saul in battle. And so David, because of his love for a son, wanted to show kindness to another person. Because of his love for a son. And do you guys, does this start to ring any analogy bells in your minds? Where because of a son that we know, our heart is moved with compassion for those people around us. And also for the love of a son, our father, our heavenly father, loves us, is able to shower his love and his blessings on us. David just wants to shower blessings, just wants to give great things to someone, to Mephibosheth, because of of his relationship with a son, with Jesus. So, look at this, verse 2. So there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. So when they had called him to David, the king said, Are you Ziba? So David, the king, gets a servant to go and find this person that he's going to show kindness to, this Mephibosheth. Just like, in picture form, our king, our God, sends a servant, the Holy Spirit, out into the world, drawing people whom God may show kindness to. Does that make sense? Are you seeing this analogy? All right, so the servant goes out and he says, yeah, I know someone here. Let's go get Mephibosheth. And what's great about Mephibosheth? We'll see. He's lame in his feet. And we already know the story of why. And look at where he's from. It says he was living in this house in the land of Lodibar. And as you do a study of that word Lodibar, you'll find out it means no pasture or nothingness. But basically, No pasture is the literal translation. He had come from a a land where there there was, it wasn't a great place. It was like just grass, like uh, gravel or, or sand or something. There wasn't a good place for sheep to eat. And I think that's very figurative and very powerful in our life. Because God sees his condition. He hears where, or David, the king, hears where he's from. And he's like, whoa, he's from no pasture? He hasn't had anyone caring for him. He hasn't had any shepherd taking care of him. Let's see. And he's lame in his feet, so he can't do anything for himself. And he's been running from the king. He's been running from me. And he was afraid. Just like our great God, our king, sends the Holy Spirit to the world to draw people to himself who are afraid of him, who are living in a place that is not comfortable, and they're not being fed. And they're pretty lame. (laughs) They can't do it themselves. And they realize that they can't do it themselves. I don't think Mephibosheth was really trying to make it in the world at this point. He's just hiding. He's just hiding. He knows that he can't do it. And that's the person that the Holy Spirit has the ability to draw. Is the person who will confess, yeah, I can't do this. I can't fix anything right here. I can't fix it. I can't do it. So, the Holy Spirit is able to get that person. 
and able to bring him in. And what happens? He comes. He sa- David says, I'm going to bless you. I'm, you're going to eat at my table. No more of this no pasture stuff for you. And you don't have to be afraid of me. You're going to be my, my friend, my close friend. What was eating together in that culture? It was like intimacy. That's like only bros did that. <laughs> That's what it was. He, David's like, I want you to be intimately connected with me. I don't even want you to work the land that I'm going to get. I'm going to give you all this land, tons of everything that be- belonged to your grandfather, I'm going to give you. You're going to be rich, but I don't even want you to pay attention to that stuff because I want you to be consumed with your relationship with me. I want you to eat at my table every day. Don't let a day go by where you're out in that field. You're lame anyway. Don't worry about the field. Don't worry about the riches. Pay attention to me. I want you, Mephibosheth. I want to bless you with my food. Hmm. Notice... He does this. Mephibosheth is just blown away. He's like, I'm a dead dog. Why are you even doing this? And David's like, whatever, bro. Come on. And he's like, okay. So he comes up. He gets rich. And he's at the king's table every day, just like one of the king's sons. Almost like he's been adopted. It's crazy. But what's the last verse? And he was still lame in both his feet. He was still lame in both his feet. Who does Mephibosheth represent? Us. You. Us. Even though he was given this intimate relationship with God, and rich beyond his wildest dreams, as we are, when we're adopted by God, he says we are given all the riches of Christ, all the riches in heavenly places are poured out on us. Every spiritual gift is ours. Even though we're rich, God wants us to focus on relationship. And sometimes he lets us still have our limps. And you may be wondering, I've been struggling so long with the Lord. And I keep thinking that if I follow the Lord long enough or hard enough or or I just do something, that my legs are going to change or I'm going to be able to walk this Christian life better. And I think we got to get it through our mind that it doesn't matter how you're walking. It matters who you're eating with. It doesn't matter where you're walking. It matters who you're dining with. I'll prove it to you. Go to John chapter 6. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John chapter 6. God is going to take care of your walk. He's going to take care of your walk. Might not look the way you think, but He's going to take care of your walk. If you spend your days eating with Him, dining with Him. You know, John chapter 6 is is one of the greatest chapters in the whole Bible. I wish we had time to just read the whole thing like ten times right in a row. It'd be amazing. But you can do that tonight when you go to bed. Let me just summarize it. First, he feeds 5,000 people with bread. Okay, They had like 
they had like seven pieces of bread or five barley loaves and two small fish and he feeds 5,000 people with it. Great miracle. Everyone loves him. Like, oh, you're giving us bread. This is fantastic. We're going to make you king. And Jesus is like, no, I don't want to be king. So he left. He ran away, ran up a mountain. He tells the disciples, cross over the, the lake. So they cross over the lake. Big storm happens. Jesus comes walking on the water. They think he's a ghost. Ah, it's crazy. He gets in the boat. They're on the other side. So on the other side, he starts teaching in the synagogue, teaching his disciples about this. Okay. And we'll start in verse, uh, let's see. We'll start in verse 26. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate loaves and were filled. Do not labor for food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you. Not you can earn with your works, will give you. Not that I'll, I'll pay it to you. I'll give it to you. Notice that word. Underline it. Highlight it. Circle it. He'll give you. Because God the Father has set his seal on him. When, when they said, then they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? I, I just picture Jesus here. Are you kidding me? I just said, I'm going to give it to you. Again, the presents at Christmas. He's like, you, you, you offer a present to your son. Here, son, Merry Christmas. He's like, wait, Father, let me go out and take the trash out before I deserve this gift that you want to give me. No, it doesn't work that way. Gifts are gifts. Works are works. They're two different things. You don't accept a gift of a paycheck. If your boss said, here you go, here's your gift of a paycheck, you would be like, slap. You would, oh, it would be so insulting, right? We've we, we got to separate the two. And understand, God works on gifts, not wages. He'll work on wages if you want him to. And that's the point of this. He will work on wages if you want him to, but that means you go to hell. Because the wages of every person's sin is death and hell. You can do that if you want. But why? When there is a free gift. A free gift. So they ask him, well, what? Oh. He's like, I'll give you this bread. You can live forever. And they say, no. What can we do to work the works of God? This can't be the way it works, Jesus. It can't be for nothing. Have you ever heard that before? Have you heard people say, this is too easy. You mean Jesus died on the cross and that's all I have to believe and I go to heaven. That's it. That It can't be that easy. And that's what they're saying here. What should we do? What can we do to work the works of God? And Jesus said, Jesus answered and said to him, verse 29, This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. Just believe. Is it hard to, is it a work to believe? No. It's an attitude of the heart saying, I submit, I believe what God did was for me. And therefore they said to him, what sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What did he just do? Feed 5,000 people and walk on water. And they're asking for a sign. What work will you do? Now that's a good question. What work would he do? What work was he going to do? 
Well, he's going to do a pretty good work. And there's, they make jewelry about it today. It's a big deal today. There's a big one right there. Cross. That was the work. It's the only work that matters. So they, they're thinking, okay, well, our fathers ate manna in the desert. How about this? As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And then Jesus said to you, all right, you guys want something? Here you go. Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up on the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up in the last day. Mephibosheth was invited to eat bread every day. Invited. He said, David said, focus on relationship with me. Eat the bread. The king said, be intimate with me. Eat my bread. God says the same thing to us through Jesus. God wants us to be intimate with him, wants us to focus on relationship with him. And how do we do it? By Jesus. We have faith in him. Looking again, real quick, at our our text in Galatians, it says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. I am sitting at his table, trusting him that this is going to work. And you know what? It's going to work. Because this is the way God said things work. It's going to work. I have, I, um, it says, I, have, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus claims to be worthy of our trust here in John 6. He said, I am the bread of life. This is going to work. So he gives us, in these verses, verse 35 through 40 here, he gives us five reasons why we can trust him. I want you guys to see these five reasons real quick. And by trusting him, we can receive all the life we could ever dream of. The trusting him is how we engage, how we eat the bread, is by trusting him. When he says, I died on the cross for your sins, you say, I trust you. Okay. When he says, I want you to just spend time with me and I'll take care of your life, I trust you. Okay. When he says, I want you to live godly in your relationships and honor me in your relationships and stay pure and and loving and kind. Okay, I trust you, God. If that's what you want me to do, I'll trust you. That's how we eat the bread every day. So look what he says. First, he says he perfectly satisfies spiritual hunger. When he says, he who comes to me shall never hunger. He perfectly satisfies spiritual hunger our spiritual 
hunger to be spiritual people. What's been our, our big battle is this legalism. It's between being spiritual people and being fake people, just pretending. Jesus is the only one. Eating this bread is what satisfies that spiritual hunger. Number two, he receives all who come to him. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. The second reason why Jesus is worthy of our trust is because he, he shows no partiality. He's not racist. He's not sexist. He's not ageist. Any other ist you can think of. All things are equal. He, he accepts anyone who comes to him, no matter what they've done or who they are. And third reason, he isn't interested in his own agenda, but his loving father's agenda. Not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me, he said. Third reason why he's worthy of our trust is because he's not, he's following orders. And we can understand authority. You guys trust a police officer is not going to pull you over and start shooting you for no reason. Why? Because they're under authority of a greater authority. And so you have a trust in them. Same way Jesus says, I will save you from all your sin. Because I'm under authority. That is my job. That is my role. That is what I'm doing. It's my life. I'm going to do it. Fourth reason. He will keep those who come to him safe. All he has given me, I should lose nothing, he said. He's going to keep you safe. Nothing is going to come into your life that he hasn't preordained. The last thing is, the destiny of all who believe in him is eternal life. It's why we can trust him. That's, that's where he says, everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life. All this shows that he loves us. That's the basis of all this. I know it's hot. We're going to end up in just a minute here. He loves us. He loves us. He's doing all this. He wants you to trust him because he loves you. In John chapter 21, he comes to Peter after Peter has messed up. And then he's, he's risen from the dead and Peter's out fishing just like a fisherman because he's a fisherman. And he's just, he's kind of depressed and kind of angry all at the same time and doesn't quite know what to do. And Jesus is just so full of love with Peter. And he doesn't say, Peter, you stink. Peter, you have messed up so bad. After Peter had just denied him three times and all this. I mean, if I was Jesus, well, let's not even go there. I'm not Jesus. Jesus is so full of love. And what is the thing he says? He's, he's cooking fish up on the side. Peter's been fishing all night and caught nothing. Then Jesus does the miracle thing. Whatever. Peter is there. He's probably starving from working all night. And Jesus is just cooking up some fish. What's up, Peter? You know what he says to him? Peter... Come and dine. I'm cooking some fish. Come and dine. Just like Mephibosheth. Every day. Come and dine, says the king. Just like Jesus says, I'm the bread. Dine on me every day. Because it's his love. It's how we engage and receive his love. 
He just wants to bless Peter. He didn't tell Peter, Peter, you've really blown it. He never mentioned it. He just said, Peter, have some fish. Got some lemon to squish on it. It's really yummy. So what if you're like Peter? We've seen in the book of Galatians, Peter, years after this, he kind of forgets a little bit. He kind of goes back to the legalism. And Paul had to get up his face and be like, Peter, you're acting like you're better than everyone and that's legalistic. We learned about that last week, two weeks ago, three weeks ago. Peter's kind of forgotten about. So what do we do when we forget? We know that Peter did this. When we can, Maybe you're thinking right now, man, I've been trying to give God a reason to bless me instead of just accepting the fact that he loves me, he's done everything for me, there's nothing I can do because i got lame feet except sit there and eat his bread. That's all we can do. And maybe you're thinking, I've kind of backslidden from that. I've kind of come back from that. Number one, you repent from trying to earn God's blessings. It's not wages. It's a gift. God wants to bless you. It's a gift. It's free for you tonight, here, now. Stop trying to earn it. Repent. Turn around and say, all right, I can't earn it. Number two, you request it. You ask God for his blessings. Go to him. It's about relationship. He says in James, you have not because you ask not. So start asking him. Now, sometimes we start asking for things that is not the best for us. And sometimes he says, you may need a diet. And so he doesn't give you the sugary things that we may be asking for. But he will always give us what's best for us. Always. And the third thing, so repent from trying to earn God's blessing. Number two, request, ask for God's blessings. Come to him. Stop trying to make it yourself. Stop trying to be the money maker. Stop trying to be the the big guy, like the rappers are always trying to say. And number three, relax in what he decides to do. Trust him. Live by faith in what God is going to give you at his table. His table. His bread. You know, as you look at everything, as you think about communion, bread equals crucifixion. This is my body that was broken for you, Jesus said. When he tore the bread, he said, My body's going to He's talking about the crucifixion. He's talking about being nailed on the cross. So when we are eating this bread, we're always coming to the cross. In every part of your life, in every moment, every morning, every day, the cross is center point. What he did for us. It says, this is my body broken for you. The love shown and proved at the cross is your victory over legalism and sin in every way. Again, look at our verse in, in Galatians. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. That means the bread that was broken on the cross, I partake in that. I become one with that. I become intimate with that. I partake of it. It becomes part of me. And then what naturally happens when you focus on the cross, when you look at the cross every minute, when it becomes everything to you, when you repent and you say, Jesus, it's you on the cross, it's all that matters in my life, it's no longer I who live. 
I'm not trying to live in low Debar, where there's no pasture, where it's all dry and I'm afraid and everything. I'm, I get to live at the king's table. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. If Christ is living in you, you are the son of the king. You get to live like a son of the king. What is, how rich is Jesus? He's rolling. There's no words. What benefits does Jesus have with the Father? Everything. He completely has everything that he needs. It says he is, his joy was fuller than any man who'd ever come before him, meaning Jesus was the happiest person to ever live. And he's wanting, he says in John 14, he gives that joy to us. This is, he, he lives in us. When we focus on the cross, he lives in us. The life which I now live, I live in the flesh by faith in the Son of God. I engage with it, I eat the bread by faith, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside this grace of God. I don't frustrate it. I'm not going to try to earn it. I'm just going to live it. What did we say at the very beginning? The first thing I said about Galatians is the difference between trying to be a Christian and being a Christian. Try pretending that you're all good by your actions and actually being a spirit-filled, godly person who's eating the bread every day. Amen. Jesus, thank you so much for your great and powerful love. God, there is no, no way that we deserve it. We are a dead dog in your presence, God. Lord, in humility, we, we come and we ask you for this gift. Lord, we repent of trying to earn your blessings, thinking that if we just did devotions a little bit more, you'd be happy with us. Or if we, if we just went to church a little bit more, you'd start blessing us. Or if we just did this or just didn't do that, there would be something that changed that made you look on us and smile. And God, it's a lie. God, help us to just accept the fact that you want to bless us for no reason except the fact that you love us. And I, and I love you in response, God. And I worship you in response. And I live my life to glorify you in response in the secret place, in the quiet place, when, it, when people come against me, Lord God, I want to respond out of love for you to love them. God, we want to live our lives by faith in what you've done. And we thank you so much for being a God who just who, who is so amazing and just loves us so much. In your name we pray. Amen.